The title of this morning's message is Juggling Act. We make the big mistake some point in our life from producing fruit to getting to a point where we begin to juggle the fruit. See, the start is this. You start producing fruit in the power of God that made it, bud, the power of God that caused it to grow, and the power of God that made it glorious. But at some point in the process, we get to a point where we quit producing and we start juggling and we start thinking, how do I maintain what God has started through me? If he started it, it's his job to sustain it. Pastor Corey, can you come up here right quick? Can you help me out for a moment? Y'all give Pastor Corey a hand clap this morning. Yeah, leave that apple there. You can use these apples up here. Now, I want to give, show you guys what happens a lot of time in, in a believer's life. And Pastor Corey, if you can come stand right here. Pastor Corey has the unique skill of being able to juggle. Now, Pastor Corey, you have produced some amazing fruit. That's a good-looking fruit right there. That's a good fruit. That looks good. That looks good enough to eat. But I don't need you to eat it, okay? okay? The, the purpose of fruit is not for you to eat. The purpose of fruit is for you to produce it for the nourishment of others. A tree doesn't eat its own apple, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. A lot of believers, you're producing something, and you're eating your own production. Right. What you produce is not for you to eat. A tree doesn't eat its own apple. The purpose of the apple is to duplicate what it came from, and that's the tree. The purpose of your fruit is not to nourish you. It's to duplicate who you came from, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? So, Pastor Corey, can you that, that, name that fruit? Is that, let's just call that your prayer life. Okay. Your prayer life is producing some awesome fruit. Okay. That's awesome. Start juggling your prayer life. See, it's not hard when it's just your prayer life. But, Corey, in your prayer life, God has given you some amazing anointed words. So now that you got prayer and anointed words, come on now. Corey Hankins in the house. Juggling prayer, juggling anointed words. But Pastor Corey, in your prayer and in your word, God started giving you a, a gift of, of laying your hands on the sick and watching them recover. Come on now. He's doing good. He's doing awesome. Pastor Corey, in your prayer life, God's given you amazing words and also a gift of producing miracle signs and wonders. But now he's also given you another gift. He's given you an amazing gift of words of wisdom and words of knowledge that you got to incorporate in it. Get it going, baby. Come on. Y'all give Pastor Corey a hand clap this morning. Does that look like some of your lives as believers? You get planted in the house of God. You get plugged into the church. And before you know it, the church has asked you to be a greeter. And then because you're greeting good, they ask you to do this. And then because you're doing this good, they ask you to do something else. And before you know it, you got five different things going on and you're producing some kind of fruit in your life and you just can't seem to handle it all. The problem is we got too many believers juggling fruit instead of producing fruit. And if God is the one who started it in your life, it is God the one who, it will be God the one who is responsible to sustain it in your life. So if he brings another gift or another fruit into your life, it is not your job to figure out how to juggle it. It is your job to say, Father, I'm producing some fruit here that's more than I feel I can handle. 
And how do I produce fruit, according to your word in John 16, that will remain in my life without juggling it? Because you start juggling enough stuff, and eventually it all falls because you got to put more faith in his producing power and, and, and his choosing power than your producing power. We as believers, if we do not get this concept down, we're going to miss it. How does this happen, though? There, there's a switch, I said. There's something happens when you're going along great in your Christian walk one day, and you're producing a lot of fruit, but then it turns over, and one day you wake up, it's like, dang, I'm tired. Dang, I'm exhausted. Man, I don't want to do this stuff anymore. The church just wants to see what all they can get from me. God, I don't know how much more you want from me. Right? Anybody ever been there? You ain't got to raise your hands. <laughs> But I'm telling you, there's something that happens in your spiritual walk that causes this to occur. And here it is, and you need to write this down, or you need to screenshot the screen up here. How does this happen? This occurs when the essential component of relationship or intimacy is replaced by knowledge and ability. Juggling occurs when the essential component of relationship and intimacy is replaced by knowledge and abilities. And here's the way we fall into in the church. We have this great relationship with God when we start. We find a place to get planted. We're on fire for Jesus, and it's all about being there in worship. It's all about, oh, God, I heard you speak to me in the midst of the message today. And it's all about relationship. It's all about intimacy. And you're so in love with Jesus, but something happens where it moves from the heart to the head, and it becomes knowledge and abilities rather than relationship and intimacy. This doesn't just happen in your Christian walk, and I'll prove it. Many of you, after your first three or four years of marriage, hit this point. And you start working on your marriage through knowledge and ability, not relationship and intimacy. If you've been married for over 20 years, you know what I'm talking about. If you've been married for over 10 years, you know what I'm talking about. And there's always got to be this resetting place that happens in your life. You've got to always bring it back to relationship and intimacy versus knowledge and ability. See, I have this big uh, fatal flaw in my life. When I find out something that my wife loves, I log it into knowledge and ability rather than let it be produced from relationship and intimacy. If I find out, and I did this when we first started dating, that my wife likes flowers, and she loved to get flowers. The first time we went out on a date, I brought her a flower, and when I asked her out for our first date, I brought her a flower, and I found out she was taken back by the flower. And so I logged that into knowledge and ability and said, check mark. If I want to make her happy, I'll just always bring her flowers. About nine months into our relationship, she said, you don't really ever have to bring me another flower again the rest of our life. <laughs> and I said, but honey, I'm doing it because I love you. And you said you loved it. But she saw the switch. She saw I was just doing it out of knowledge and ability, not relationship and intimacy. See, what starts with relationship and intimacy, if you're not careful to cultivate it at the roots, it'll produce fruit of knowledge and ability. And then you're putting more faith in your producing power rather than his choosing power. And so I want to encourage you with your relationship with your kids as well. Your kids are constantly growing and changing. Your young adults over here are constantly growing and changing in the things and the things of God and in the things of the natural world. And if you don't reevaluate your relationship with your kids every two years, you're going to end up having a knowledge and abilities relationship where they can cut you off and you can cut them off and have no real relationship of intimacy. And so when they get out of school, they're happy to leave and run away. And you're sitting here wondering, why don't they love me no more? Because they caught on to your game. Yeah. 
They caught on to your juggling act. Hey, I'll bring you here and here and here and here to piano recital and to baseball practice and to, and to swimming lessons and to, and to soccer practice and, and to choir rehearsal and to, and to the movies you want to go to. And your knowledge and your ability of all the stuff you do for them to make them happy begins to get replaced by relationship and intimacy. Therefore, they try to develop a relationship and intimacy with something or someone else. And you wonder where it all went wrong. It's in every aspect of life. Husbands and wives, I'm challenging you to reevaluate your marriage every two to three years. I used to say every five years. I'm challenging you to do it every two to three years because in three years, so much of life can happen that you're a completely different person at the end of three years. Yeah. I'm telling you. And those of you guys who got some good life experience, you know. You know that in three years' time span, people pass away, people go home to be with Jesus, people get married, kids move out the house, kids get broken arms, broken legs, and da-da-da-da, all of life happens. And in three years, you look over at this person and your knowledge and your ability and say, who are you? See, some of you have never reevaluated your relationship with God since you've been born again. I know this as truth. God never changes. But also the truth is, you always change. So if there's got to be a reevaluation in the relationship with our kids, the relationship with our spouse, there has to be a reevaluation in the relationship with our father, a relationship of love and a relationship of intimacy, because if the relationship of love and intimacy is not in place, you're going to start doing work through knowledge and abilities. And at the end of your knowledge and abilities, you'll find yourself laid out on the floor, exhausted, wondering why God isn't here for you when he's not the one who moved. See, Life can happen in two ways. Life can happen to you or life can happen through him. Some of y'all need to write that down. Life can happen to you. Everybody always has life happening to them. But when you're a believer planted in his house, life begins to start happening through him. That means he starts controlling your circumstances rather than letting the circumstances of life control you. He starts giving you the power over the trials and the tribulations to make you the overcomer, the more than a conqueror, the one planted in the house of the Lord that will flourish in the course of their God rather than let the droughts of life suck you dry and find yourself withered up at the end of your own personal vine at the end of the day and saying, God, I can't do it anymore. See, there comes a point in your life how does this happen? The essential, the, it occurs when the essential component of relationship is intimacy is replaced by knowledge and ability. And I want to encourage you in this. I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. You will not always be the, the gifting or the talent or the career person that you are today, but you will always be a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. So God is not worried about how much you can produce, how much you can juggle, how much you can maintain. He's concerned with your relationship with him. And I believe the better you deal with your relationship with him here on earth, the, the, the greater your, uh, how did I say it? The, the greater you're going to experience heaven when you get there. Because it's not at all going to be brand new. You'll be like, yeah, we had this on earth and now I still get it in heaven. Right? I believe God wants that in your life. 
And so I'm going to encourage you, you're, you will not always be the person you are today, but you will always be, if you're born again, a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. So we must put supreme value on our relationship as sons and our relationship as daughters over any gifting, over any talent, over any word of wisdom, over any word of knowledge, over what so-and-so said about you, over what so-and-so didn't say about you. You are a son, you are a daughter in the kingdom of God, and we must put supreme value on that you are loved already, just like you are right where you're at. Come on. Now, give God some praise in the house today. And now everyone in the worship center, you got an apple. Everybody hold up your apple. It's a good-looking apple, isn't it? It is a pretty apple. But I want to ask you, are you producing fruit? Are you producing fruit or are you juggling fruit? This apple for you, you can put your hands down, sorry about that. Or you can hold them up the rest of the service. This apple for you represents the fruit you will produce this week. Before this service is done, I want you to name your fruit. This is a prayer for somebody else. This is a word of encouragement that I'm going to give a coworker. This is a, you, you begin to name it. This is a hug that I'm going to give uh, uh, somebody who, my neighbor who's elderly who can't get out of the house. This is a meal that I'm going to bring to somebody who I know is shut in right now. This is some act of love from the Father that he's put in your heart that you are going to go and do for somebody this week. Now, automatically, fear jumped across half of your faces. I just immediately felt it in this place. Uh, fear jumped across half your place. You're like, <gasps> this apple no longer became an apple. It became a mountain. This apple no longer was something pleasant and delightful to you. This apple now became a source of anxiety for some of you. Who, what, what are they going to think when I walk up to my coworker on, on Monday and I put this apple on their desk and say, I want you to have this apple because it represents every time you see it, I'm praying for you. Some of y'all are freaking out at the thought of that. You're sitting here thinking, oh my goodness. But I thought we were supposed to produce fruit. I thought as a believer, this is what we're supposed to do. Because see, when an apple falls from a tree and hits the ground, the apple that fell from the tree was not for the tree's nourishment. It was to duplicate the tree that it fell from. And on any given apple, there's usually between, uh, I'll say, six to, six to ten apple seeds, usually between seven and eight. And so every apple that falls from a tree has the potential to produce seven to eight apple trees. And every tree that produces apples, I don't know how many hundreds it can produce in a year, but there's 600 apples in this sanctuary. So now that we got, we'll just say, um, six apples, or, or six seeds in this apples at 600 apples we now have 3,600 potential trees here at the minimum and if every tree let's just say produces 10,000 apples in a given summer and lives for 20 years how much fruit can be produced by the tree so my question to you in this is as you're producing fruit what are you going to do? Who is it for? So the minute I mentioned this, some of you started juggling every reason why you couldn't. What are they going to think? Our boss doesn't like it when we pray for people. Our boss or whatever, or, or uh, my family's lost and they don't know Christ. What are they going to think when I bring them an apple? <laughs> Gee, pastor, couldn't you just like, give me a $100 bill to give them or something? Because you would have talked your way out of giving them a $100 bill. Yeah, right. 
I could have said, I got a million dollar check for each of you to go give somebody and you would have talked yourself out of a reason for giving a million dollar check to somebody. So I went with 63 cent apples. <laughs> Amen. I still believe you're good soil. Amen. I just didn't have the million dollars to give every one of you yet. So in this, where does the juggling manifest? Where does the juggling come from? What causes this? And so in this, what causes juggling? For many believers, it's this. It's simply the word fear. Fear in many believers' life causes the juggling. And believers never give themselves a chance to even fail because fear never lets them try. See, I'm not even talking about your success at the moment. I believe you will be successful in your bearing of fruit as you leave and go out this week. But I'm telling you, many of you never even give yourself a chance to fail, much less succeed, because fear never lets you step out and try. And I'm telling you, I love that song we sang this morning. We are no longer a slave to fear. He split the sea and cut it wide open, and he could walk right through it so we could go bring an apple and put it on somebody's desk because God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you something great to produce fruit with. I love what Franklin Roosevelt said. We said, for we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. I love greater what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. In Timothy 1.7, he said, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power. Everybody say power. power. And love. Everybody say love. love. And everybody say self-control. In other words, that verse means God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of a powerful spirit operated by love and self-control. So that means two things. He gave you a powerful spirit, one that's more powerful than the fear you're thinking of. And number two is this. If you'll love him and begin to live in that relationship and intimacy and love with him, he'll help you overcome and not just control the fear, but remove the fear. He did not give you a spirit of fear, but a powerful spirit of love and of self-discipline. Now, I find this very awesome that the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the spirit is love on the one bookend and self-control or self-discipline on the other bookend. Yeah. Amen. Come on. And the Bible says that Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a powerful spirit of love and of self-control. God's given you a spirit bookended with all the fruit in the middle of love and self-discipline in your life. Amen. Yeah. So you already have it within you to overcome the fear that's facing you. Ooh, come on. That's a good word. You already have it within you to overcome the fear that's facing you. That's right. And I'm amazed at how much fear this little apple has caused some of you. Because this is the first time you're ever going to have to go public with your faith. Some of you. This is the first time you're ever going to go public with your faith. As you leave it on the restaurant that you're leaving from from lunch, and you tell your waitress, I'm leaving you this apple. as a representation that I'm praying for you and that I love you. And you can eat it, you can do whatever you want to with it, but I'm giving this to you as an expression of my love and my faith in my God for you. And what he's going to do in your life. I promise if we'll begin to approach with that type of, of fruit, we will begin to produce what God has caused us to produce. Now, what causes producing? What's, we start producing in the very spirit that he gave us. So what causes your fruit to produce is you start producing in the very spirit that he gave you, a powerful spirit based in full love and based out of a lifestyle of self-control. That he's put a spirit in you that you can actually literally control your physical actions. When somebody cuts you off on the road, you ain't got to cuss at them and you can't throw the apple at them. Amen. Come on now. Some of y'all on the way home, somebody's going to be too slow getting out of the parking lot and you're thinking, I had chunked this apple. 
and I could get them right in the back of their car. We used to do it with eggs when we were growing up, but since that's illegal now, amen. <laughs> Come on, y'all know y'all went egg houses and cars before. So in this, he's given you a spirit of love and of self-control. What causes producing? We start producing in the spirit he gave us, a powerful spirit operated by love and self-control. Now, I want you to get this, and I need you to understand this real, real well. What is the opposite of love? Many of you immediately are thinking, hate, but you're not right. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. If you read your Bible, the Bible says this. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And anything that is hate-based is fear-driven at its roots. Amen. I'm telling you. Listen, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It did not mention hate. It did not mention self-centeredness. It did not mention any of those things. It says the contra force of love is fear. So in the kingdom of God, you are either operated by the force of heaven, which is love, or the force of the dark world, Satan, and all the things, which is fear. How did the, 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 the Satan in the Garden of Eden get Adam and Eve to overtake or, or to, to, to submit to them? He didn't do it by causing them to hate God. He talked to them in a way that they had an ungodly fear of. Did God really say? Well, maybe God didn't really say. Well, did God really say if you eat of it, you would die? Adam and Eve on the other side. Surely not. They caused him to question. They caused a fear, a lack of trust. When God said... I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with power and might. And so I want to encourage you in this. The opposite, of, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And listen to this. What is the opposite of faith? Many people will say the opposite of faith is fear. And I'll say the opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is sight. The opposite of faith is sight. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, fear is attacking your intimacy, your love relationship that you have with the Father. Sight is causing you to disbelieve all the things that God says, I'll do the impossible on. Come on now, that's good. See, your sight on what you see is causing you to question, can God still really do the impossible? Can God still really do the impossible? Because I see all this stuff. And I see all these problems in the world. Did you understand what you're saying? I see it all. I see it all. I see it all. So the opposite of faith is sight. I want you to begin to understand that there are people in this world who need this piece of fruit that you have in your hand. It's a 63-cent apple. But more than a 63-cent apple, it's a seed of love and of faith that you're planting into somebody's life. Now, here's the kicker to this. The Bible says faith, and the opposite of faith is sight. Faith worketh by love. So if your step of faith is not driven by love and relationship and intimacy with the Father, you'll end up finding yourself always doing this, juggling your fruit up and down. And your life will become like what you're doing. 
You know, Mitch, has your life ever felt like this? Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Good day, bad day. Good moment, bad moment. Good day at work, bad day at work. Good life with your spouse, bad life. Good moment, bad moment with your kids. Why? Your life is duplicating what you're doing with your fruit. The results you see in your life probably have a lot to do with the fruit that you're producing. So my question for you this morning is this. For us to produce much fruit, we have to get planted in His choosing power and not our producing power. But the one question I have for you as I close this morning is simply this. Everybody with your piece of fruit in your hand. Ministers, come. Everybody with your piece of fruit in your hand, look at it. Do you love somebody in your life enough outside of this church facility? Do you love them enough to give them an apple? Your step of faith this week could not be more simple. Your step of faith this week could not be more life-changing for somebody else. Because I have an awesome friend in the congregation today. Her name is Dahlia. She's right up here on the front row. And met her a few weeks ago when Starbucks opened here in town. And Dahlia, if a believer came into Starbucks today and said, Dahlia, I'm giving you this apple. And this apple represents, I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm going to keep you in mind. I just want you to know that you're thought of and you're loved and you're prayed for today. Would that kind of change your day? Yeah. And I say it all the time, waiters and waitresses, Jeff, hate this day, Sunday, more than any other day of the week. Because church crowd. They sit in church all morning, but they gripe the most, they tip the least. Come on, man. We're better than this. We are so much better than this. So give them a big tip, but give them an apple. Give them a big tip, but give them an apple. But Pastor Jeff, tell them why you got them an apple. Because they're thought about. They're loved. So this week, this apple's going to sit wherever you leave it. <laughs> and if you leave it sit on the dashboard of your car till day number six and got to get rid of it Saturday before you come to church on Sunday morning, <laughs> here's the profound thing. Somebody's fruit that they're supposed to be producing because of your seeds in this apple is already six days behind. <laughs> See, it's not about you. It's never been about the fruit that you produce is for you. The fruit that you produce is always for somebody else. The tree doesn't need the nourishment from its own fruit. It gets all its nourishment from where it's rooted. So if you need the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to come get this apple. And I want to give you this apple if you need to be born again. And I want to pray with you a prayer that says, hey, Jesus loves you so much he gave you a lot more than an apple. He gave you himself. And I want to pray with you here in just the next few minutes. For the rest of you in the house this morning, I want you to do one thing. I want you to name this apple. Who's it going to? Before you leave here today, put a name on it. You know, I'm not saying you got to get a Sharpie, but I'm saying this apple is going to my grandmother. Because she's a shut-in and she hasn't been out in a while. And honestly, I hadn't been a good grandson or daughter and been and visited them in a while. So I'm going to go and spend special time and be intentional. And I'm just going to plant a seed in her life that I love her. I want you to name it who it's going to. Put a name on it of what you're going to do with it. So this is going to sister so-and-so, grandma B, 
whoever, Uncle Jay, whoever it is, and I'm going to go spend 30 minutes with them. I'm going to bring them a dinner, and an apple is going to be on it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go pray with them, especially in their life. So your altar call, everybody at the altar call has something to do. This is the start of your fruit-bearing process. This is the start of what God wants you to do every single day of your life. Not because you're trying to juggle it and make it happen and see how many people you can reach and see how many people we can get born again and see how many evangelists we can create in the church and see how much stuff we can get doing for the kingdom of God. No, it's to produce fruit that remains. It's simply to produce fruit that remains. Stand with me this morning. If you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to come right now and pray with one of these ministers that's here. This morning, if you need anything of prayer in your life, maybe you're battling fear, I want you to come and we want to pray for you and you'll be released from the spirit of fear. If you need any prayer for anything, come and pray on your own or pray for one of us. Those of you who are doing great in the house and you've already got your issues settled and you're good, I want you to begin to name your fruit, who it's for and what you're going to do. And if God's calling you to come and get planted right here at TWBC, I want you to come and join the church this morning. Church, we're going to get this thing started in about three seconds. So you ready? Get to praying. Get to start producing fruit. Come and get born again. The communion table of God is open. Here we go in three, two, one. Won't you come and let's pray together this morning.